thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. If you would stand with me, we're going to read together from the Word of the Lord in Acts chapter 10. We're going to work through verses 9 through 33 this morning, Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through uh, 33. Last week, you'll recall that we met Cornelius, who had a, a heavenly visitation, and that heavenly visitation instructed him to dispatch some of his servants to go to Joppa and to retrieve Peter and bring them back to Cornelius's home in Caesarea. And so in the first part of chapter 10, that's what Cornelius has done. He has dispatched his uh, servants to head uh, to Joppa, and we'll pick it up at verse 9. It says, and the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance and he saw the sky opened and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Peter, get up, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Verse 17. Now when Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day he got up and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, For what reason you have sent for me? Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. 
Therefore send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the home of Simon, the tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Lord, once again, we come before you with gratefulness of heart, with thanksgiving, realizing, Lord, that this opportunity that we have to be in worship, to receive communion, to give, to hear the word of the Lord preached to us uh, is an opportunity once more that you have given us to be together as one body. And Lord, we should not take this time for granted. We should not believe that it will just always be like this because it won't always be like this. We should not just come because this is what we feel like we ought to do in order to get a star in our crown or something along those lines. This is not the purpose of our coming together. We're coming together in order to be obedient to the commands of Scripture, realizing that every time we have the body of Christ together, whether two or three or whether a multitude such as this, Lord, you're present in the midst and that our hearts ought to be strangely warmed within us. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us today. Help us to perceive and understand your word. Help us to apply your word, to be hearers and doers of the word. And, God, we pray that you will work by your spirit. God, I pray you would help me to not say or do anything that would distract from the word. I know I will give an account for the words that I speak. And so I pray, Lord, I pray earnestly, God, help me not to do anything that would distract from the message you would speak to us today. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to share with you this morning... Um, on the topic of facing uncertainty when God does something new, uh, facing uncertainty when God does uh, something new. We've read uh, in uh, this uh, particular passage about 23, 24 verses of Scripture, and I would say that if any one of us were to study and to begin reflecting on this passage, we could probably come up with 23 or 24 uh, different sermons that could be pulled out of uh, these scriptures. In fact, we're trying to work through the book of Acts, and I've thought at times I probably should try to speed this up because it looks like we're going to be the next four or five years in the book of Acts, uh, but each piece of it is just so uh, weighty and so purposeful, and so we want to take our time uh, through it, but I wholly realize that as we work through these passages, there are many things that could be preached or taught uh, from the scriptures, and so what I must do is pray and ask God what he would speak to us out of uh, this passage this morning. And I believe that the Lord has uh, laid in my heart something that is specific for us about facing uncertainty when God does something new. Because when the Lord does something new, there's always a bit of uncertainty. There's always a bit of not quite sure what is, is happening here. And there are many of us who I'm aware of, uh, either in terms of our private conversations or just sort of knowing what's going on in each other's life, we feel as though that we're going through or have gone through this season of uncertainty and we're trying to figure out, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? And the scriptures are 
where we should go to. That's what needs to be our guide, our focus during times such as this. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in those seasons of uncertainty, it ought to be that kind of light that pops off in our life that says, hey, God's doing something new right here. God's doing something when we sense that uncertainty, and that should really cause us to press in and to seek him. And so last week, again, we were introduced to Cornelius, who uh, is in a town that is called Caesarea. It's a pagan city. He was a devout man living in the midst of a pagan people. Uh, Cornelius was not uh, a convert to Judaism. He wasn't a convert uh, to Christianity at this point. He was simply someone who was a monotheist. He believed in one God. He affirmed the Jewish conception of God. But again, he was not a full convert. He was a man of prayer, and God visited him during his afternoon prayer time, and God commanded him to send for Peter in Joppa. And one of the things that as we see the beginning of this story and as we read verses 9 through 33, what I think that we come away with, or one of the things that I come away with uh, is that God is a God of action. When you read through this story, it is God's initiative over and over and over again that is changing and transforming things. God is the one who initiated Cornelius's vision in the beginning of the chapter. God is the one who initiated Peter's trance and subsequent vision. God is the one who is going to initiate the gospel going into the Gentile world. And what Peter and Cornelius uh, did is that they were obedient to developing a lifestyle that was receptive to God's leading. So they were developing this lifestyle of being receptive to the move of the Lord. Often we pray, God, move in this situation. God, do this. God, please move in this situation. And what I, I hope we come to understand is God is always moving. God is always doing. God is always active. He is always engaged. He is always speaking. But oftentimes we're not listening. Oftentimes we're not in that posture of hearing from the Lord. We don't have to pray for God to move more. God is ready to move. He's always active in the affairs of men. In the Old Testament, he was consistently uh, creating and redeeming and delivering and disciplining and seeking and speaking. In the New Testament, he was calling and sacrificing and sending and spirit baptizing. He was always at work. You and I have to tune ourselves to hear from the Lord. I was thinking about this, and I'm dating myself a little bit here, but probably a young boy, 14, 15 years old, there was no you know, cell phones at that point, no text messages at that point, no email at that point. And so if you were in middle school and you saw a young lady who kind of uh, caught your eye in middle school, one of the ways that you could kind of, you know, encourage that along is you could call up the radio station and uh, you could ask them to uh, sort of kind of dedicate your favorite love song to this lady who you had your eye on. Am I the only one that ever did that? <laughs> My kids would be in trouble if they did that. <laughs> 
But you would hope that on the other end, after you spent your time, you kind of had your eye on this young lady, you spent your time thinking about it, you got the perfect song, you call up the radio station that night and you dedicate this song uh, to this lady who your eye is on. What you're hoping on the other end of the radio is that the young lady has her dial tuned to the same radio station. You're hoping that right now she's listening and at some point when the DJ comes on and that, in my day, that uh, Whitney Houston song or something like that comes across the radio, see, you guys know what I'm talking about, (laughs) that she's listening and now she's thinking of you. But she had to be tuned in to the right station. See, Cornelius, he was, he was dialing in to God's frequency by being prayerful and being devout. And Peter, he was dialing in to God's frequency by being prayerful and being faithful. God was speaking. God was moving. God was acting. But they were tuning themselves to hear what the Lord was doing. As we realize that God is a God of action, when we're stuck and when we're wondering, it's not because God has stopped, but it may be because we have stopped listening. We have stopped obeying and doing according to his plan. You look at the children of Israel in the Old Testament, and you look at when God opened the door for them to enter into the promised land, they sent some spies into the promised land, and 10 of the spies come back and say, hey, we can't do that. And the entire nation says, we can't do that. We can't go in there. They're bigger than us. They're more than us. They'll overpower us. And what it took them was 40 years in the wilderness. And what you see, if you were to look, maybe some of you have in the back of your Bible sort of a map of the wilderness wanderings. And what you see when you look at the wilderness wanderings, they didn't stop and sit, did they, over 40 years? They didn't stop and sit. God continued to move them. Still moving over and over until all the things that weren't listening to his plan died off. They wandered for 40 years until that unbelief had died out. But in that 40 years, God was moving. They did not stay stationary. When things are uncertain in your life, remember that God is a God of action. He's always working. He's always moving. He's always calling. So how do we know where and how God is moving and how to align ourselves with his priorities? Let's look back at verse 9. It says, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour uh, to pray. Say, Peter prayed. Peter prayed. But he became hungry. Hungry. And was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. A trance. And he saw the sky opened and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and of the birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, get up, kill, and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, but God is cleansed, no longer considered unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. What I hope that you see in this passage is Peter's personal experiences were all part of what God was doing. 
So oftentimes we want to think of God's work in our life in terms of the spiritual, and we don't really look very much over at the natural or the physical realm. We're just, we're wanting God maybe to intervene, but we're not looking necessarily at what's going on in those things in order for the Lord to speak to us. But when we look in this particular episode of Peter's life, what we find is one, he was in a time of prayer. So he's at a time where he's focused on God, where he's thinking about the Lord, He had personal hunger. There was something in his body that was going on that says, hey, I'm hungry. This obviously, uh, or actually at this particular point in the day, it wouldn't have been the natural time for Peter to have eaten. There would have been a kind of a mid-morning, sort of a lighter meal and an evening kind of heavier meal. But there wasn't this idea like like we're probably used to of kind of morning breakfast, mid-morning snack, lunch, mid-afternoon snack, dinner, midnight snack. See, Peter wouldn't have eaten that way. Peter would have had kind of a, a, a something in the morning and a heavier meal at the evening. But at this point, he's hungry for whatever reason that he was hungry in the midday. They're prepping for him. And God speaks to him in a heavenly vision. So you have Peter's heart praying, Peter's physical body in hunger, God doing a supernatural thing. And then you also have the particular location where Peter was. He was staying at the tanner's house. Now, a tanner is someone who would take animal hides and make leather out of them uh, and, and sell them. Now, Simon's house, Simon the tanner, his house being by the sea would mean that he was probably engaged in some sort of activity where maybe pelts coming in or things coming in. He would uh, kind of be engaging in commerce as they would be shipped in and shipped out. But one of the things about a tanner is that Jews didn't like being around tanners. They weren't people that were naturally associated with by Jews because they dealt with dead animal carcasses. And the way in which the tanning process worked in that day is they used some of the fluids from an animal in order to assist in the tanning process. And so what you have is Peter, who is staying at this house of Simon the Tanner, and imagine what's going on in the house as Simon is tanning these uh, animal hides and skins. What's going on? What do you think about? Is there a smell there? Of course there's a smell there. That's probably one of the reasons why he was even closer to the sea with the breezes of the sea. That's probably one of the reasons why Peter went up on the outside roof to get a break from the smell. Luke includes all of these details for us for a reason and for a purpose. It's not just the great vision that God is speaking through but it's the hunger pain and it's the prayer and it's the actual location that God is using throughout this story in order to move the church forward. You see, the events in your life are not accidental to what the Lord is speaking to you. They're actually formational for the next step in God's plan. Peter on the roof, Paul on the Damascus road, Stephen chosen to be the servant leader and then 
later stone the crowd who was gathered physically in the upper room. What we've seen over and over and over again in the book of Acts is that God clearly works through human events, natural circumstances to give discernment to you and to me in order to accomplish his plan. See, Peter was beginning to discern what God was doing just by him being in Simon the Tanner's house. Because again, that wouldn't have been a natural place for someone who was desirous to keep all of the Jewish purity and ceremonial laws. So God was already beginning to work in Peter for him to be one who was willing to go there and to be there. And the vision from the Lord gave Peter more clarity, but he was still uncertain. It wasn't until he actually gets to Caesarea that he says, I most certainly understand now. So what God was doing was using circumstances, events, locations, placement in order to move Peter to a place of understanding. And that's exactly the way that he works in your life and in my life. We can't simply take and think of these great high-level spiritual experiences maybe that we have now and then, and that's the summation of God working. God is working in our lives, speaking to us, calling us, leading us by the events of the everyday activity in the life of a believer. And I want to apply that very specifically to us, to us as a group of believers, to us as a church family. I've often asked you to look around the room and look at the people who are sitting in this fellowship with you. Look at the people who are sitting in the fellowship. We need each other. Whether you're one who is kind of uh, more comfortable sort of being on the outside or you're one who wants to be right in the middle, God has placed us together for a reason. We're on this piece of geography. You're sitting in a blue chair that was picked up from a Spanish church in North Carolina for a specific purpose this morning. You don't just come here by chance and think, okay, I've done that responsibility and leave. What our minds must say is God is working for me and for his glory, for his purposes to bring glory for himself. And that is why I'm here. And that's why we have to look around and be part of one another's life, speak and talk in a way which is always loving and gracious and kind, right? Because God's doing something here with us in community for his greater glory. So if we believe what's kind of happening here in the story, we also have to believe that God works in natural things in order for us to be able to be on his plan, to do his purpose, and to fulfill his uh, calling. So brethren, I'm going to ask you to illustrate that with uh, this video. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit baptized a group of people in the city of Jerusalem. It ignited a fire that in one generation caused the gospel to spread into the known world. Miracles, signs, and wonders followed those early believers. The prophet Joel spoke that the type of revival that inaugurated the church will be the same type of revival that happens at the end of the age. We believe Riverstone was called into existence to be an end-time church that prays for revival in central Virginia and beyond. The early meetings of a few families prepared the soil for Riverstone's launch in March of 2020 at the Holiday Inn on 5th Street.
After our initial launch at the Holiday Inn, we began regularly meeting at the Earliesville Fire Hall. When the pandemic hit, we temporarily moved online. Later, we met at Northridge Church and then finally at our current location on Insurance Lane. During all this time, our consistent prayer has been to follow where the Lord is leading. As we look to the future, God has unexpectedly opened a new door for us. On Route 29, in the middle of one of the fastest growing growth corridors in Virginia, God has provided property at no cost to us for Riverstone to build a new church building. With this property, with the congregation's help and by God's grace, we hope to be worshiping in our new facility by mid-2023. This does not diminish our desire to plant other churches in the near future on the south side of Charlottesville and Crozet, Culpeper, and beyond. This blessing is by God's design and for His own glory. We will remain a church that believes revival can come to Central Virginia through church planting, intercession, prayer, and adherence to the precepts of God's Word. With this provision, God is helping Riverstone Church to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We rejoice because the Lord has provided a tool. God has provided a tool for us to look to serve him for his glory. If God has provided this tool, what we want to do is to walk where the spirit of the Lord is leading. Where God is leading, that's where we want to be. We don't want to get ahead of the Lord. We want to follow after the Lord's plan and purpose. There's lots of questions after a video like that. I have lots of questions. Peter had lots of questions when a sheet was lowered down and all these animals were in it. And he wondered, Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, hey, no way. This is against my religious upbringing. This is against the understanding that I have of what, God, you're doing in the earth. But God said, no, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And because of Peter's obedience, it allowed him to follow the Lord in to Caesarea. And as we'll see in a later message, God did a mighty work in these Gentile believers that impacts you and I to this day. What you just heard is a piece of what God is doing for his glory. A piece, not the whole. A piece, not the whole. And we have to be certain and sure of that. <clears throat> As people, we get excited about these type of blessings. And I'm very excited about it and thankful and grateful to the Lord about it. But I know that one day all the material things will be burned up in fire, right? All those things will go away, but the glory of the Lord will stand forever. The glory of the Lord will stand forever. And as much as we can invest and as much as we can use the tools that God entrusts to our hand for his glory and his purposes, we must do that to maximize them for the purpose of the kingdom. And that is what we will do. We've prayed for God's will to be done, and I believe that this opportunity is part of the will of the Lord for Riverstone Church. Our ability to build a building on 
29, where there is no cost to the land, is as miraculous to me as Peter's heavenly vision. But like Peter, we don't know the whole story. We don't know the whole story. But what we do know is that God has called us to plant churches. We can't forget that calling. God has called us to plant churches. We believe that this will press us to plant churches on the southeast and southwest sides of Charlottesville. I pray it's simultaneous with the building of a building. I pray that God does something where we can do this simultaneously for his glory. Because the reality is, statistically, new churches that don't plant another church in the first five years probably will never plant a church at all. We're over a year in. God has called us to pray. That's what he has called us to do. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We must be a praying people. We must be a people who intercedes and prays for the will of the Lord. How many places, how many churches have we seen get off track? We can't get off track. Our focus must be on the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I am so excited that this announcement coincides with a July 4th event that keeps us on mission, that keeps us focused on the rescuing of souls for the kingdom. That's why we need all hands on deck because there are people who even today are dying and slipping off into an eternity where they don't know the Lord. We must be a people who even right now intercedes that God's grace will be manifested in this city, in this area for his glory. That must be the call of our heart. God must give us the grace to equip the next generation. This is why I'm excited about Friday, an opportunity for an older generation who has walked through the faithfulness of the Lord, who has seen God's grace, who has seen his power, who has seen his mercy, speaking into the lives of a younger generation who is just starting out. And what you'll see is that when this generation goes off into the world, the world has no problem telling it what it thinks. The world has no problem speaking to them and calling to them about what the world wants them to do. But what we must be is a people who clearly and articulately speaks to the next generation, who equips them with opportunities to use their gifts and calling for the glory of the Lord. <clears throat> I believe that this season is exactly the season where we need every person operating in the power and gifting of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the reasons why we have been praying and seeking the Lord that he would minister to each and every one of us by the power of his Holy Spirit, that there would be that transformation in our lives. That's why I've preached on it. We've taught on it. Others have taught on it. Others have preached on it, that there is a work of the Spirit that you and I ought to seek after and long for. We ought to seek after and long for, for the work that God is calling us to do. Again, what we have to recognize is God is working in a natural realm. God is working in each one of us individually. God is working in a global spiritual way, but he's also working here in a local spiritual way. We've prayed and we've asked the Lord, God, we believe you're going to send revival. God, we believe there's going to be a mighty end time revival that is going to come. God, why not right here? Why not begin it here? Why not ignite the flame here, oh Lord? That's what our prayer has been. And so when we see the Lord doing work, when we see 
see the Lord bringing things together, we have to be all invested together. Our mission, <coughs> our mission will come in to clearer focus over and over again as we seek the Lord and we fulfill what he is calling us to do. Notice the convergence of events at a time when we're finally able to gather together. Finally able, the restrictions are being released. At a time when we are enjoying gathering together as one congregation at one time. At a time on July 4th when people are thinking about freedom. At a time when we can share with them the vision of the Lord, true freedom in Christ. This is why this must be a missional opportunity. It's on a Sunday. It's on what we traditionally refer to as the Lord's Day. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Thank you. The question to each one of us is clear. Will we pray? Will we help? Will this be a kingdom event and not a Riverstone event? We're asking other ministries, other churches, other people are involved. I had a conversation with a brother who's doing tent revivals on Friday uh, over in the valley. That guy talked my ear off about what the Lord is doing. (laughs) He shared with me about good things that God is doing and how God is moving over in the valley. God's moving other places. God's doing things in other places, and we believe he's moving right here. And that brother says, I'm excited to help. He said, July the 7th. He said, we're going to have a tent revival at Cooter's Garage. Y'all know where Cooter's Garage is? Over in Luray somewhere, I believe. He said, we're going to have a tent revival July the 7th for 10 days over in Cooter's Garage off of, what show was that? What is it? Dukes of Hazard. Okay, that's what it was. I was thinking Andy Griffith. Dukes of Hazard. But can you imagine... A tent revival, seeing God work. We're praying for God to pop up places of prayer, places of intercession, revival services, people being transformed, lives being changed. That's our calling. That's our calling as a group of people. And when things seem uncertain, when to look at all of our circumstances and realize that God is working in all of it, everywhere. I hope that today upon hearing what God is doing, but some of you sense your calling for the next step. You're affirmed in your life. What is my calling for the next step? You're sensing it in your heart right now. This is hopefully giving you a renewed vigor for what God is doing, a renewed commitment for what God is doing. What we cannot do is fall asleep. We can't become restless and lethargic. We have to be focused and purposeful. And I believe the word of the Lord in this passage, second part of verse 23 says, On the next day, Peter got up and he went away with those who had come to him and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanying him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. It says, Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. I think this is a caution to us. And we cannot get ahead of the Lord 
Though Cornelius was devout, though we've heard Luke write uh, kind things about him in this particular passage, we see that he had been praying. We see he had been sharing about God with other people. He had been giving to God's people. He had even had a miraculous and heavenly vision, yet his worship was misplaced. He did not have the full revelation of everything God was doing. Cornelius wrongfully worshipped man for what God was doing. He wrongfully worshipped man for what God was doing. Peter was quick and right to correct him. We can understand why Cornelius' worship was misplaced. That entire angelic visitation to Cornelius was about Peter. Go to Joppa, get Peter, bring Peter back here. Peter was a central figure in the vision, but he wasn't ever to be the central focus of God's plan. And we cannot allow our worship to get misplaced. It's not because we as a church are so good or so righteous that God has opened these doors for us. He has opened this door for one purpose alone, and that is the whole earth will be filled with his glory. We are not here to make a name for ourselves or to make a name for our church. We're here to make a name for Jesus. And we can't let ourselves get prideful. Peter could have gotten prideful of his role and allowed Cornelius worship. Oh, it's okay, Cornelius. But he immediately corrected him and said, no, I'm just a man like you. I'm just an instrument like you. I'm just here to do the will of God like you. We should rejoice. We should be excited because of what God has done to glorify himself. But we also must realize it is solely about the exaltation and glorification of Jesus. When things seem uncertain, we must be careful to follow the Lord's leading and not try to lead the Lord. Let's remember that God is moving. If we're stuck somewhere and we're faithful to seek him, he will reveal to us his will and plan. Let's be discerning and notice the threads in all the areas of our life that point to the next step in God's plan. As I've said, God gives us a peace. He's giving us a peace. Sometimes he gives us more than a peace, but right now it's a peace, a peace, a peace. Let's be discerning and notice all of these threads that are coming together and be clear about what the Lord is doing. Let's keep our focus on the right things. We're about the work of Jesus. We're about the name of Jesus. We're about the power of Jesus and all the earth. We'll be worshiping Jesus throughout eternity. And by God's grace, through all these wonderful things that are happening, we'll be able to get a taste of that, just a taste and see that the Lord is good, a longing for that heavenly place where we will be with him throughout eternity. Let's stand together. In these next few moments, without music, without singing, let's just worship the Lord. Let's just worship the Lord with the words that he has given us. Let's speak praise to him for what he has done. Let's thank him for his goodness. Let's ask him to lead us 
that we would not lead him, we would not try to get in front, we would not try to move ahead, but that he would lead us step by step for his glory and we would be faithful to follow. Our worship would not get misplaced. Our efforts would not get misplaced. But let's in unity as a congregation, let's lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord over these next few moments and just worship him. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Maybe you're uncomfortable lifting your hands to the Lord. I just ask you, maybe, maybe just kind of move beyond your comfort zone a little bit. Lift your hands to the Lord. Just speak words of praise to him this morning. Would you just speak words of praise to the Lord this morning? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, the English language fails me to even put into a thought process what you are doing and have done and continue to do, Lord. I have no construct in my mind to be able to articulate words of thanks Words of praise, Lord Jesus. The only way I can exalt you, O Lord, is by your grace, Lord, even as those on the day of Pentecost exalted you and spoke in languages they didn't know because there wasn't even phrasing at times to be able to put into spoken word the glory of what you were doing. So, Lord, I thank you. I'll say what I can. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. And God, I just rejoice. I rejoice that your presence is here. I rejoice, Lord, in the fellowship 
of family that is here, O Lord. God, as we look around the room, we are family. You have united us in this cause. You have called us together in this day. You have called us together for this purpose, to step faithfully before you, Lord Jesus. We look to you, Lord. We look to you and you alone. There is not one of us who has the wisdom we need, and so we ask you for wisdom. And we know when we pray that prayer for wisdom that you would give it to us liberally, Lord, that you will pour it out in abundance, God. We don't want to misstep. We don't want to falter, O Lord, but we want to stand before you in integrity, We want to stand before you in holiness and in purity, O God, that you and you alone would receive glory. And so, Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for saving us, Lord. We thank you for giving us a mission. We thank you for calling us, O God. Lord, we rejoice in that. God, we realize that of how you have touched our heart, how you have united us, how you have called us and put us together, oh Lord, the things you have done in such a short amount of time. God, we look forward to the future ahead. Continue to unite our hearts, oh God. We see in Scripture, it's taught to us that as you work, the enemy is also working. The enemy is seeking to kill and to steal and destroy. He is always active. He is always prowling about. He is always seeking to destroy. And so, Lord, help us to be mindful. Help us to be mindful, O Lord. Help us to be discerning, God. Discern your plan, your purpose and your calling. So we rejoice in you today. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace and mercy. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.